You may be seated. If you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. There's an insert in your bulletin with uh, the passage we'll be looking at and also a brief outline. We're looking at roles in marriage today as part of uh, the third part in a sermon series on gospel foundations for marriage. And I think people are especially excited today for their spouse to be here and find out what their role is and finally get on it. So, as you understand, the Word of God is active and living. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. We should hear it and understand it in its context. And the context of the book of Ephesians, we can look at it from a, a, a biblical perspective as a book that has a gospel foundation of what's true for us in Christ. We're sinners, separated by God and not able to save ourselves, dead in our trespasses and sins. But God makes us alive together in Christ by giving us the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And we embrace that gift by faith alone. The first three chapters of Ephesians are all about what's true for you because you are in Christ. You are saved by grace. It's not what you do, it's what has been done for you. The last three chapters of the book of Ephesians build on that foundation, so now what do you do? What's true leads to what to do. And how do we live out of that gospel foundation? How do we live in our marriages and in our homes and in our workplaces and with one another? All of that Paul takes on in the last three chapters of Ephesians, and that's where we find ourselves. But we have to understand it in its context that these verses are, are based on Christians saved by God Himself. So, the biblical context is that, but let me give you a little insight into the, the church context. For me, this passage is something I'm, some, a passage I'm very familiar with. You hear it at weddings all the time. I take couples through this in premarital counseling all the time. I counsel and weep with people who are struggling in their marriages through this passage often, hundreds of times. Teaching this in our counseling training on Monday nights, year after year, to people who can help others with their problems. So, what goes on in this passage is something that I see just bearing fruit and useful for my own marriage, for troubled marriage, for preparation for marriage, for teaching others to help marriage. But let me be clear, this is not counseling time. This is not teaching time. This is a sermon that is the declaration of the Word of God. It's an exhortation to you, a challenge to you based on the gospel of grace in Christ Jesus. Because what this passage is about is Jesus Christ. In these 11 verses, you're going to see Christ mentioned over a dozen times. This passage is about Christ as much as it is about husband's roles and wife's roles. And if we don't get Christ right, we won't get those roles right. We have to understand that as our foundation. So, with that in mind, follow along as I read Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, 
Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that he might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a familiar passage to many of us, and yet, Lord, we want to grasp again the profound nature of what you're declaring to us today, this profound mystery that is before us, Christ and the church, and how our marriages can be a reflection, a portrait of the grace that you have shown to us the bride of Christ, as your church, and how you, laying your life down for your people, demonstrate the care that a husband should have for his wife and the love that he should show. Lord, this passage before us is a challenge given the culture that we live in, given the conflicting messages that we hear, even among your people sometimes. Lord, I pray that we would hear and see clearly what Your Word says, and by Your Spirit's enablement, be able to understand it and apply it in our lives. I pray this for Your glory in the church. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. I grew up in western New York outside of Buffalo. As you know, Tony and I grew up nearby each other, and as I was growing up, I played mainly two sports, Um, hockey, mainly uh, street hockey, and soccer. And there's something that both of those sports have in common. I think that you'll grasp pretty quickly. And now, when we were in Tony's driveway, we played a lot of hockey. Mrs. Felice can attest to this. And we had to make sure every time that we got the hockey nets out that we also got the boards out to cover the nice garage door. Because if we were taking slap shots against Mr. Felice's nice garage door, we'd hear about it, okay? Just imagine how that was. The game of soccer, the game of hockey, as you're starting out, seven, eight, nine, ten, I remember the soccer league that I was a part of was just the town rec league. It was not club soccer or travel. It wasn't like high level of play. We just, if you wanted to play, you got to play. So we were out on the team and beginning players in soccer or in hockey want to avoid playing in the goal at all costs and want to be the guy that gets to put the ball in the back of the net every time. I want to score, and I don't want people shooting at my face with a puck, right? You don't want this big soccer ball hitting you in the head, knocking you out. You want your team not to jump all over you because you let in a dribbling puck. You want to be up on the front line. You want to be out where the action is. You want to be putting the ball the puck in the net. You wanted to score. So, as you can imagine, it 
wasn't all that fun if you were the goalie and you let in a goal and the rest of your team is like, oh, come on, what are you doing? But you didn't make too much fun of them or you didn't put, down them, put them down too much because you know what would happen, right? They'd get sick and leave and then you'd have to play or somebody else would have to play in that position or that role that didn't get all the glory. Well, I wonder if our marriages are sometimes looking like that youth soccer or hockey. People are unhappy with what they have to do and they spend time criticizing the way other people do their job. Why aren't you scoring more goals? I'm saving everything and you can't even put the ball in the net. The complaints that we have about other people in their roles and somewhat of the ignorance maybe that we have about the roles we ought to be filling. I think, as I mentioned in prayer, that our culture has a ton of advice on marriage and a lot of the views that we are given straight out contradict what the Bible says are the roles that God gives for husbands and wives in marriage. So we need to take time out today and listen. Listen to God and what He says in His Word, the truth. And we look at those roles in marriage and see them in light of the profound mystery of Christ and the church, that's going to transform our marriages. That's going to transform the way that we go about our lives. And so I want to look first at the fact of being equal in marriage and different. Being equal in value, but different in roles. And then we're going to look particularly at wives and what their role is. Husbands, you won't be off the hook what your role is. So starting with this point that I want to make sure that we understand that the dignity of a human being is wrapped up in being created in the image and likeness of God and in being restored in that broken image, that sinful image, through union with Christ. In Jesus Christ, men and women are completely equal before God. One is not more valuable or less valuable than the other. Truly, our equality before God shouldn't be in question. Do you remember what Paul says in Galatians 3? You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. This is the equality that we share in dignity and worth before God. And that equality is really rooted in the Godhead, in the Trinity, that they, each of the three persons of the Trinity are God and have that worth and dignity, yet they still follow and function in different roles. In the economy, the way the Trinity works out, the Son submits to the Father. And so we know that when Jesus came to this earth and He was born in a manger, lived His perfect life, and reached the Garden of Gethsemane where He was about to go to the cross and die, and He knew that is the Father's plan. Yet in His humanity, He cried out, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass away. Blood and sweat pour down. He was so earnest in His prayer and His desire not to have to face death, but He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will. He willingly submitted His will to the Father's will. It didn't make Him less God. 
He is still God, even though he, submit him, he submitted himself to God. Uh, Paul makes this point that submission doesn't imply inferiority. In fact, listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 11.3, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Let's go from the backwards, to, from the end to the beginning. If God is the head of Christ, there's no demeaning when there is headship. There's no putting down if somebody is submitting to another. In the creation order, Paul says in 1 Timothy 2 that, that Adam was formed first and then Eve. And so this priority of who was created first doesn't change values. It just changed who was going to be the leader, who is going to be the head. So as believers in Christ, men and women are equal standing before God. As husbands and wives, we have different roles to play. And that's what we're going to unpack what Paul puts before us. But I had to set that foundation that having a certain role doesn't make you more dignified or less dignified in God's eyes. So, wives, there are some bookends here, actually, to this passage from verse 22 to 33. It starts with, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, and it ends with, let the wife see that she respects her husband. So, what does respectful submission look like? Well, it's submitting to your own husbands as to the Lord, and that modifier, again, brings us back to the profound mystery that this is rooted, submission is rooted in Jesus Christ and His work. And it's to be done as to the Lord. Now, in the order of your outline, really deals with how Paul lays it out here in Ephesians. But I want to take a second to uh, the second point first to kind of uh, imitate the order that we find in creation. Back in Genesis chapter 20, we see the cooperative helper that God makes special order. Genesis 2.20, the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed up the place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. This was God's design to make a helper suitable for Adam. And this helper was from Adam's own rib, flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone. But when we think of somebody who's a helper, we think of somebody that's lower than the person they're helping, right? If somebody has a house helper or somebody is in the helper role, it almost automatically in our minds puts them below. But keep in mind the way that the Bible describes a helper. Uh, in Psalm 121, the psalmist says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heavens and the earth. The Lord is a helper. In the book of Hosea, uh, God describes himself as Israel's helper. Now, if the God of the universe who's over all and majestic and powerful and the eternal one says, I'll be a helper, it doesn't bring that role down. It doesn't make the wife's role as her husband's helper less dignified. And so, as the wife is then called to 
submit in, to her husbands, she's given the direction to do, to, to do so as to the Lord. If Jesus Christ asks you to do something, you would do it, right? Paul is saying, as you are asked by your husband, treat him in response as you would the Lord, as the Lord, as you would treat the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church and his, and, uh, his body, and himself is its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in just about everything to their husbands. Is that what your translation says? They should submit in the things that they agree with to their husbands. No, that's, that's not it there either. It's, it's really a com comprehensive submission. It's in all things or in everything. Now, there's a challenge in that that really stems all the way back again to the Garden of Eden when another counselor play, placed a message in Eve's mind and she took of the fruit and ate it and gave it to her husband. She rebelled against God's authority and her husband and the curse came upon her. And all women struggle with this in similar ways where Genesis 3.16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And note this, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Another translation says, your desire will be to rule over your husband. And that desire is one that is to usurp is to be the head, is to take over. Now, sometimes that happens because of negligent husbands who aren't stepping up, and the wife feels, if nobody's going to lead, I'm going to have to. That's not right, but that's sometimes the motivation that's there. Here, we see that that struggle is a desire to rule over. But this is the kind of submission that Paul is talking about. He's talking about submitting in all things, as to the Lord, and to do so in a respectful manner. That's pretty comprehensive. Now, submission's easy when you're asked to do something that you agree with, right? But here comes the challenge is when you disagree. Are you still willing, cheerful, glad? Are you submitting in, at all times, in all places, and in everything? That's impossible, you say can't do it. You're right. You can't do it. It is impossible. Don't even try it in your own strength. But with the Lord, all things are possible. With this mindset of the profound mystery of Christ laying down His life for the church, and Christ laying His life down for me, wives, if He's treated you in such a way, can't you submit to your husband as unto the Lord? Looking to what the Lord Jesus did for you in serving and submitting to your husband. Now, there is an exception clause. Uh, like the apostles in Acts chapter 5, when they were forbidden from preaching the gospel, preaching Jesus Christ, they said in Acts 5.29, Peter said, we must obey God rather than men. And so, wives, if, if your husband maybe is not a believer and he is demanding that you do something sinful, or He is forbidding you from coming to worship, let's say. Well, the Bible says I shouldn't forsake the assembling together. 
and God tells me I need to be worshiping with His people, respectfully, I'm going to have to obey God instead of what you're telling me here. Doing it in a careful and respectful way, but we have to obey God and not man. There are plenty of things that are difficult to obey in, but there are some things that we should not obey when they are direct sin. But wives in 1 Peter 3 were encouraged to be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So yeah, wives, your husbands aren't always going to get it right, and sometimes they're going to make bonehead decisions. But if they're not asking you to sin, then following them is obedience to God. And it's a beautiful thing. And maybe your husband will be won over to the Lord and to His Word by your pure conduct. But let me just say something important about submission and abuse. Abuse is never, ever acceptable. And if you're being abused, come and get help. Now, not every unkind, rude, impatient word or action is abuse, so we need to be careful. But physical force, intimidation, threats, coercion, isolation, and ridicule are some of the clear signs that abuse is taking a place. And maybe it's not clear to you, but you need to get help, and you need to seek out somebody that can assist you in that. That's what we do in biblical counseling here. In fact, you should know that in March at our B3 conference, we're going to have an ACBC counselor and author, Chris Moles, who's written and speaks on domestic abuse coming and helping us with the heart of domestic abuse and how to help. And I think it's a very important issue in our culture today. Submitting when there's abuse is never right. That's always going to be uh, run into problems. Now, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. And what I read in this passage in verse 28 as well, and in verse 33, there's like four times we're told to love. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Love your wives as your own bodies. Love your wife as himself. Love your wife as yourself. Four times. Do you think there's a reason that husbands need to be told the same thing four times? I think so. I think we can be forgetful hearers, and we need to be doers of the word. Loving leadership. You're the head of your home. Um, there wasn't a vote taken. There wasn't uh, an election had. It was as you began your relationship together of, in the covenant of marriage, the design that God has for your marriage is that you husbands would be the head. And that headship means sacrificial servant leadership. It means sanctifying your wife, nourishing and cherishing her as you would your own body. Paul has a similar command uh, to Christian husbands in Colossians 3.19. He says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. He added that negative side of here's what you should do, but, but don't be harsh with them. And some husbands, I think, justify that, um, well, I told my wife that I loved her at our wedding. 
I don't have to repeat it again, do I? Yes, yes, you should. But they, other husbands are, I'm loving and loving and loving, and I'm just harsh sometimes, or I just throw that harshness in every once in a while, saying my love outmakes, outdoes my harshness. Well, uh, Paul, Paul's pretty clear. Don't be harsh at all. Be loving towards your wives. In First Peter, there's also a parallel to um, a, a honor our wives. That's, that's the other charge that Peter adds. He says in 1 Peter 3, 7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. It's a kind of a scary thing to think of how all of our conversations with our Heavenly Father, our prayers, can be affected by the way that we're treating our wives. Your prayers to your heavenly Father are hindered if you're not honoring your wife, if you're not caring for her. You, you probably have experienced that. We, we know what that's like. But put yourself in your heavenly Father's position. You are heirs with e for eternal life with this woman who is your wife. That makes her a joint heir with you, that means God is her father. So, if you're going to your wife's father and asking her for things, but you're being harsh with her or you're not honoring her, her father isn't going to hear you. That's kind of a serious warning that we ought to take to heart, but honoring our wives as the weaker vessel doesn't mean that she's some petite little flower that is, is wimpy. No, women are quite often stronger in their constitution than men are. However, what Paul is getting, or what Peter is getting at is that they should be treated like a Ming vase, a special container, not a piece of tarpaware that you can throw around. That's how our view of honoring our wives ought to be shaped. I like what um, Brian Chappell says about our headship as husbands. He says, headship is possessing the authority to lead. It's delegated authority from God. It's not intrinsic to man. Biblical headship is the conscientious and loving use of the authority God grants a husband to ensure that all in his home honor God and experience his blessing. Your headship is not so you get to be the boss and order people around. Your headship, delegated to you by God, is so that everyone in, under your sphere of influence, your wife and your family, are honoring God and flourishing and being blessed. And so, headship that honors Christ actually brings glory to women and exalts them. How should we honor our wives? How can we lovingly lead them and sacrifice for them? Wayne Mack gives a sample list, some specifics. We can love our wives and lead them through the use of our words. Husbands, use your words. Talk to your wife. You have, your wives have various needs that you can satisfy. You should protect her physically. You should protect her time. You should protect her reputation and the way that you talk with other people about her. Protect her from negative criticism. Assist her in her responsibilities. Just because you're the head doesn't make you better and her work below you. You ought to be able to assist her in any job that she's doing. Sacrifice for her. Some people think, well, Jesus laid down his life for the church, so I'd lay down my wife, life for my wife. 
Well, taking a bullet for her, you can do once in your life maybe, but every day there are opportunities for you to lay down your life for your wife. Look for those. Don't compare her to other women. Make her the first priority next to Christ. Allow her to really share in, in your life. That's part of honoring, loving leadership. So, let me see if I can inspire you with a story out of the Babylon Bee this week of a great husband. Now, the Babylon Bee is a satirical newspaper, okay? Sentinel, Colorado. After reading Ephesians 5 for his morning devotional, Monday morning, local man Kyle Nelson promised himself he'd begin to love his wife more sacrificially as Christ loved the church. He kicked off his new commitment right away by throwing his dirty socks in the general direction of the laundry hamper with the used pair ending up on the end of the bed, pretty close to the laundry basket in which they were supposed to be placed. He did so while be pretending to shoot a basketball free throw, but missed short of the basket and called it good enough. When the world sees my radical Christ-like devotion to my wife, they'll start to think that there's something to this whole Christianity thing, he said proudly as he admitted his handiwork. Man, I'm a great spiritual leader. The man then decided to take the rest of the day off managing his fantasy football league from his smartphone as his wife prepared dinner. We need to practice self-care if we're going to be able to give of ourselves wholly to our family, just like Jesus did. Honey, are you about done? I'm pretty hungry. At the time of publishing, Nelson had quickly run a little bit of water over his used cereal bowl before piling it in the sink for his wife to do later in an, a radical act of love. All right, I hope you see the sarcasm in that. We have a misunderstanding of what sacrificial love is if we don't understand Jesus Christ and His sacrifice for us. And so the kind of love that we're called to love our wives with is the love that we've been shown by Christ. And I think while the sentiment of unconditional love is one that can be very meaningful, I, I'm not expecting you to do this, that, or the other thing for me to love you, is that unconditional love. The Bible actually describes a love, this agape love that the Bible term is, in a more extensive way. In fact, I, I think it's Paul, David Paulison that says that the kind of love that the Bible has for us is a contra-conditional love, not simply unconditional. What does he mean? He says, God does not accept me just as I am. He loves me despite how I am. He loves me just as Jesus is. He loves me enough to devote my life to renewing me in the image of Jesus. This is, love is much, much, much better than unconditional. Perhaps we would call it contra-conditional love. Contrary to the conditions for knowing God's blessing, He's blessed me because His Son fulfilled those conditions. Contrary to my due, He loves me, and now I can begin to change, not to earn God's love, but because of lo God's love. The gospel is better than unconditional love. The gospel says God accepts you as Christ is. God has conditional love for you. Christ bears the curse you deserve. Christ is fully pleasing to the Father and gives you His own perfect goodness. Christ reigns in power, making you the Father's child and coming close to, to you to begin to change what is unacceptable to God about you. God never accepts us as I am. He accepts me as I am in Christ Jesus. Why do I belabor that? Because 
if we don't understand the love that the Father has for us, husbands, we won't be able to understand the love that we ought to show our wives. We don't just love them if they're nice to us. We don't just love them without expecting them to be nice to us. We love them when they're nasty to us and nagging to us because that's the kind of love that God showed me in Christ while I was still His enemy. Christ loved me. When I was a sinner, Christ went to the cross for me. I deserve Him to mistreat me, but He instead is gracious to me. It's that kind of grace that we ought to show in our marriage. You know, soccer and hockey started out pretty rough, and it was miserable sometimes. Nobody filled their roles very well. We were immature and young. We spent a lot of time complaining about how other people weren't doing their jobs right, but things started to change as we matured, as we started to understand how a team really functions. If we're going to work together as a team, then I have to focus on doing my role well and i got to encourage other people on the team to do their role well instead of tearing them down. And it started to be that there were people that developed into those roles, that were gifted in those roles, and that were excited. I love getting in the net to save a goal. I love encouraging the defense. I love this role on the team. I just love scoring goals and pumping them in the net and helping my team get the win and appreciating that this goalie's got my back and I can go free to score those goals, not worry about getting back and trying to play goal and try to score goals. I can do my role, they're free to do their role, and we appreciate one another in that. I hope that we don't hog the glory by trying to do our role and get all the credit. And I hope that we don't put others down because they don't live up to our, the flawless performance that we think that they should. It's not going to happen. Our team got better, and our teams functioned as a unit better, but it doesn't mean that we won every game. And so success in your marriage isn't that you win every single time, but it's where the gospel of God's grace, God's profound mystery of Christ and His life laid down for His church starts to spill over into the way that we live out our own role and how we think of the one that God's gifted to us living in their role and functioning together in this body with Christ as the head. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for sending Your Son, and Lord Jesus, we thank You for humbling Yourself